If you have your Bibles, and I know you do, turn to John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. We sang today that there is no one like Jesus. And I believe this passage that we'll take a few moments in is going to prove that to some and affirm that declaration to others. There's no one, no one, no one like Jesus. And we are about to be blown away by his unfailing and unconditional love. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time to look at your son through the word. Would you help me communicate accurately what you have said in your word about him? And would you give all of us ears to hear and a heart to respond? May we never, ever be the same because of this encounter with you today. I'm so glad it's not up to me and my ability to preach for you to touch and change lives. Lord, I'm so insignificant in the scheme of things. But yet, because you love broken people, you use broken people to minister to broken people by the power of your Holy Spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you do when your closest friends fail you? What do you do when people who aren't supposed to let you down let you down? What do you do when your family, people who should understand what you're going through, aren't there for you when you're going through what you're going through? What do you do? What do you do when your mother, who is supposed to cover you and raise you up when she fails you? When your father fails you, when your children fail you, when your church fails you, when your pastor lets you down, what do you do? Do you take revenge? Do you give up on loving people? Do you throw in the towel? And if they've hurt you, do you live your life in such a way where you're coiled and your guards are up and you will not let anybody hurt you like that again? Because the last time you put your trust in a person, they let you down. So now you walk around closed up. And really you're afraid to love and trust people again. So what do you do? 
when people in your inner circle, your closest friends, your family, your confidants, what, what do you do when they let you down? If you're a Christian, you do what Jesus does. And that is, you love them. Ah, you love people who fail you. You love people who hurt you. You love people who disappoint you. Because we're about to see how Jesus loved people who did far more worse things to him than the things we do to one another. And yet he continued to love anyhow. Being a Christian is so much more than saying a little prayer so you can go to heaven and not go to hell. Being a Christian means that you live your life under the lordship of Jesus and there is a cross for you to carry with your name on it and you die daily that he may live through you daily. And so like he told Peter, when you were younger, my brother, you went wherever you wanted to go, but when you get older, I'm going to lead you where you don't want to go. And Peter knew that Jesus was talking about the kind of death that he would die and it was a serious commitment. And Jesus said, you're going to glorify me by dying this kind of death. And that's when Peter did what many of us do. And we say, Lord, what about John? What, what about my sister, my brother? What is that to you? You follow me. Even if it's to death. And being a Christian, following Jesus at least for those of us today in the 21st century living in America, it may not cost us physical death. But the Lord wants to know, can you die to yourself? Can you die to your pride and your ego and your selfishness? Can you die? Well, John chapter 13, just one verse today. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Having loved his own, specifically, this is speaking about the disciples, the 12 disciples, Peter and Andrew and Matthew and Bartholomew and Judas and all these guys, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Some versions will even translate that term end there, that he loved them to the uttermost. Or still, he loved them with a perfect love, because the word here in verse 1 for love is agape, the selfless love that is unconditional, that is a commitment of the will to do what is right towards the person being loved, regardless of the price that is being paid. It's a sacrificial love. He loved them to the end, or he loved them with a love that is eternal. He loved them. He loved them with even a perfect love. And he loved people who failed him. Having loved his own, his own 
failed him. So the first thing I want you to see today is that his own, the disciples, they failed him. Just like we fail him and we fail one another. Pastor, how did the disciples fail Jesus? This is probably, one would say, the last night of his earthly existence. The Passover meal happened on what we would call Thursday. Christ would be arrested Thursday night, tried throughout the night, and crucified on Friday morning, somewhere around what we would call 9 o'clock a.m. So before he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is in the upper room spending time with his own, with the 12. And he's going to love them with an everlasting, undying, and perfect love. And he's loving men who failed him. Why? Because number one, Judas, one of the 12, will betray him. You know this story. You know what's going on. This was an intentional act of treason. This was motivated by money. The love of money for Judas was the root to all kinds of evil, even the evil of selling out the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he went to the chief priests and he asked, how much will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Judas betrayed the Lord. As a matter of fact, Satan influenced him. And not only did Satan influence him, the Bible says while they were in the upper room, Satan entered Judas. But if you hang with me in a moment, you're going to see this love that when it gets tested, it still presses through any barricade of man's failings and even Satan's trappings. Judas betrayed Jesus. And then they argued in front of him. Jesus has told them repeatedly, I am about to die. I'm about to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. I am about to die. And this is probably a time where he needs support more than anything from people that he's walked with and trained for over three years. And in his moment of greatest need, he finds his friends in a time of greatest greed. Because they're posturing in a way that is really insensitive because they know he's leaving. Now they're trying to say which one of us is going to be the greatest after he's gone. Do you see the depravity of the human heart? That they aren't thinking about what Jesus is going through. They're thinking about some sort of self-righteous promotion. And they're arguing with each other. They also fell asleep on him when he needed them to pray. He needed prayer right then and there. I need prayer. I need my inner circle to pray with me, to pray for me, to stand in the gap. He took them into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he took three out of the 11 who were left because Judas had already gone by this point took Peter, James, and John and said, stay here and pray. Watch and pray. He went away to talk to his dad, came back, found all of them sleep. 
woke them up, went back to pray, came back, found them asleep again. Then he went back and prayed and got the strength that he needed from his father. Came back and woke them up and said, behold, our betrayer is here. And when they came to arrest Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, that all of them, all of them fled. The guys who were talking about, I'll kill somebody for you. Now, Peter tried. But the Bible says they all fled. And then Peter denies him. It was not intentional. I mean, his heart was in the right place. But it was uh, more motivated by his flesh than by the Lord, the same Lord who gave him the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. The father revealed that to him. But in that moment in the courtyard, Peter wasn't relying on the power of the father. He was in his own flesh. And not only did he deny the Lord, he went on to curse and deny the Lord. And some would even say that Peter, out of all of the 12, was the closest to Jesus Christ. So in a moment where Jesus needed his disciples, they all failed him. So the bad news, when we think about a love that never fails, there is never a day that goes by that we don't fail Jesus. Fail him every day. Let him down every day. Many times throughout the day. I just wish some days I could have a perfect day where I do not sin and offend the goodness and the grace and the truth of God. But every single day, sometimes as soon as I open my eyes up from prayer, I let the Lord down. I let the Lord down in my prayers. My mind roams and I begin to think things. And when the Holy Spirit is telling me to forgive someone and let something go in my prayer, I'm saying things and I'm wrestling with God in such a way that it's not pleasing to him. I fail him even when I talk to him. We fail him when we worship. Because as we're worshiping and we're trying to focus on him, thoughts just stampede across our mind. And then we go somewhere else and we just are so distracted. We fail him. No wonder Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 20, there is not a man on the face of the earth who does good and sins not. Paul said in Romans 7, I find a principle that when I would do good, evil is present with me because it's in me. So on my best moments, when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, as my brother-in-law Gary likes to jest, I can spring a leak and fizzle out real quick. But the good news, Jesus still loves us even though he knows we will fail him. His love is not based on conditions as far as conditions of our performance. Because we cannot perform right even though we're called to live righteously. We fall short every day throughout the day. Not only in sins of commission, but in sins of omission. Things that happen naturally because although we're spiritual, we still live in a natural body that is contrary to God and the kingdom. 
That's why we got to get a new body to go with our new nature. There's a constant fight between spirit and flesh. And so there's never a day that goes by that we don't fail him. But Jesus still loves us even though he knows we will fail him. You think he didn't know that his guys were going to fail him? But he loved them anyway. You think he doesn't know that you're going to fail him? But he loves us anyway. Secondly and finally, Jesus did not fail the disciples. Why? Because he loved them. He just didn't say it because he was feeling love. You know, I just love you. No, the test of whether you love someone is if you can love them when you don't feel like loving them. When you think they should be focused on what's going on in your world, but you've got to sacrifice yourself and come out of yourself and into their world when you were just in their world five minutes ago trying to help them put their world together. Now your world falling apart. You need them. They're not coming to you. So you got to get out of your world again and come back to their world. Oh, my God. I'm going to say something a little bit later. I hope we'll help and set you free. Because ain't no way we can love like this in our own strength. And God tells us, we don't have to. Watch how Jesus loves them and how he loves us. Number one, he served them the Passover meal. Knowing they were about to start fighting. Knowing Judas was about to betray him. Knowing that Peter was going to deny him. Knowing that all of them were going to run away. He still served them. And as they were arguing about greatness, he said, guys, look at me. There's no one greater in this room than I am, but I have chosen to show you greatness by serving you. Follow my example. The world tries to lord over people, but in the kingdom, it's upside down. Everybody keeps talking about, I want to be great. I want to go to the next level. Even Christians. I want to go to the next level. Well, the next level for a Christian is not always a level of ascending. Technically, it's a level of descending. You want to be great? Go low. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be great? Don't worry about if they know your name. He made himself of no reputation, so don't you worry about yours. The greatest parts in the body of Christ are not the preaching gifts and the singing gifts, the prophetic and the sign gifts. Those aren't the greatest parts in the body. The greatest parts are the parts you can't see, like your own body. I can make it without a finger or a hand or a foot or a leg, but man, I can't make it without my lungs. I can't make it without my liver and my kidneys. The parts you don't see serve the most. And Paul said, I'm going to show you the more excellent way. As you walk in love, y'all stop posturing for the pulpit and the limelight, and I dare some of y'all to pick up mops, brooms, buckets, and start serving throughout the church. Because the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Guys, stop arguing. He gave him the Passover meal, which was a picture of him being the Passover lamb. And he instituted what we call communion. His body and his blood. He, he just loved them. And then he washed their stinky, nasty, desert, dirty, dusty, funky feet. Because you know they wore them shoes with the toes hanging out. And they walked everywhere they went. 
And so before you would go into a home in that context, there would be water there to wash the dust off of your feet before you come in for Thanksgiving dinner. And he, the Lord, washed their feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever washed someone's feet before. But that's a humbling thing to wash somebody's feet, especially if their feet are kicking a little bit. Usually the way the saints do it, we let you know there's going to be a foot washing service. So you better wash your feet before you come to the foot washing service. We don't want no Frito-Lay smelling feet up in here. But if you don't know that it's a foot washing service and you happen to throw in them stockings with the hole in the toe or them socks with the hole in the foot. Or you threw in the socks you wore yesterday and they got a little hum on them still. And you think nobody's going to know, but once you take your shoe off, Lord have mercy, there's a smell that permeates. And somebody's got a near, and, and I, mm, I remember one time I was at a foot wash and I didn't know they were going to wash my feet. And I was that brother that put on some old socks and my feet already stink. I might as well tell y'all, they already stink. I got all kind of crust on them. But anyway, let me get out of there. Y'all don't need to know about all that. Ew, all right. put lotion on them, still don't help. But man, and somebody, call Pastor Chris up here. Let us wash his feet. I'm like, oh, Lord. Now, it's humbling to have your feet washed. But it's even more humbling when you know your feet stink and somebody down there at your feet washing them. It's probably one of them reconciliation meetings and some white brother was probably washing my feet. Oh, brother, we apologize. Hmm. Oh, brother. Father, bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, man. But dig this, though. Here's where I'm amazed at Jesus. He washed their feet, even though he knew those feet would walk out of that room and go and get the chief priests and the guard and bring them back. And arrest him. He washed Judas' feet, even though he knew Judas' feet were about to walk away from him. He washed them anyway. He washed Peter's feet, even though he knew Peter would deny him. He washed the disciples' feet, even though he knew they would flee from him. He still loved them anyway. In his omniscience, he knew what they would do. Isn't it hard to serve people who have used their feet to walk all over you? to walk away from you and talk about you and hurt you. And if I'm to be like Jesus, he wants me not only to love my friends, but to love people who were my friends, but now have become my enemies. He says, love your enemies, because sometimes your friends can become your enemies. Love them. I want to wash their feet. Well, you don't want to die, Chris. And then he didn't call Judas out. They're asking, like, who is it? Who's the betrayer? Who, who, who is it? And Jesus ain't going to call him out. Because he even says, the one who dips the sop. And they're all dipping. Then Judas has the nerve to ask him what audacity. He says, is it me? And Jesus sh uh, shrouds his language in such a way where the other guys don't even pick it up. And he said, it is as you say. Now, had that been me? And I knew somebody was about to front me out like that. Oh, I'd have put you on blast in front of everybody. 
Everybody, he ain't right. He ain't right, everybody. And then he says, whatever you got to do, go do it quickly. Here's the grace of God. I believe he was giving Judas another opportunity to repent. He kept giving him opportunities to repent, opportunities to repent, but he did not. And then he compliments them. He says to them in the upper room, he said, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. While they're arguing, they had just come out of an argument. And Jesus complimented them. He looked past their mess and he encouraged them and said, you're the guys who stood with me by my trials. Now, you ain't standing with me by this particular trial, but there have been other times where people tried to kill me. You guys have stood with me, but not this time. He compliments them. He blesses and he does not curse. Then he instructs them. He spends time talking to them about the Holy Spirit. He spends time talking to them about love. He spends time talking to them about the kingdom. He instructs them. Then he prays for them, the guys who are about to fail him. He prays for them. He prays for Peter. And then in John 17, he prays for all of them. He even prays about Judas. When's the last time you prayed for somebody that failed you and hurt you? I have learned when my heart begins to get hard towards a particular person, I need to start praying for them because it's in the presence of the Lord that my hard heart gets soft. And I begin to have mercy on them the way I need the Lord to have mercy on me. And as I've been calling out their sins and how they've hurt me, the Holy Spirit lovingly calls out my sins and how I've hurt him. And then God says, the mercy you receive from me, extend it to that person. And here Jesus is praying and he's never done anybody wrong. He's never done anything wrong. And he's praying. He said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. My God. And then he called Judas friend. When they came and arrested Christ, Christ was so common looking. He looked just like everybody else. He didn't walk around with a halo on his head. He surely didn't look like a European in that particular context, nor an African with dreads in that context. He looked like a Jewish man. Who was common. Isaiah says there was no form of comeliness about him. They needed Judas to pick him out at night because he blended in with everybody. He was with his sheep, not above his sheep. So Judas goes with torches ablaze, identifies Christ to the soldiers by kissing him. And Jesus says, even in that moment, friend, friend, why have you come? And then on top of that, he protects the other 11. And he says to the arresting mob, you came for me. Let them go. Let them go. So even before he gets on the cross, he's still saving. Let them go. It's an unfailing. He loves them to the end. All the way to the cross where he died for them. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Not only those outside of the 12, but the 12 themselves. Father, forgive them. You see, when you love someone, this is what I'm learning, and they fail you, 
even if they don't ask for your forgiveness, you still have to extend forgiveness to them because sometimes they don't even know they've hurt you. Now, here's what's real. I'm, I'm coming down your street, and like I like to say, I'm going to drop some mail off in your box. When we get hurt, it is in the forefront of our minds. We are the walking wounded. We can't get away from it. We can't get around it because we feel wrong in soul, mind, and spirit. And we're living with this thing. And a lot of times the people who've hurt you don't even know they've hurt you. And so that's where the person who's been hurt bears some level of responsibility to let the person who hurt them know that they hurt them. And sometimes people say, oh, I did not even know. I am so sorry. And sometimes they'll walk on like, oh, well, okay. But that's where you've got to forgive. Even if they don't ask for forgiveness, you've got to release them. Because how many people, when Jesus was being crucified, asked the Lord to forgive them on the spot right there? They didn't. And that's why Jesus said, Lord, grace them right now. Release them right now. Forgive them right now. Some of us are still living under this weight and this yoke of how our parents have hurt us. Yeah, they failed you. But what good is holding on to it? Because what it's doing is eating you up. You're miserable. Every time you open your mouth, you're talking about how you got hurt. And those who are around you get tired of hearing that. We're bearing your burdens for a minute. But man, it's about time for you to release those people and let them out of prison. They don't even know they're in prison. Let them out. But thanks be to God, he resurrected for them. They didn't even believe he was going to get up. The world believed the words of Jesus more than the inner circle did. The world said, didn't he say he was going to rise again? Set a guard on that tomb. The disciples are sitting in hopelessness on Sunday. The women are going to the tomb not to look for him, but to anoint his body. Angel had to show up and say, hey, y'all, he's not here. He's risen. Check out where he used to lay. He got up for them, even though their belief in him getting up wasn't strong. So as I close, the bad news is there is never a day that goes by that we don't fail Jesus. But the good news there is never a day that goes by that Jesus fails us. Even when he knows I'm going to mess up, he doesn't pull his love away from me. He still washes my feet. He still ministers the communion to me. He still instructs me. He still compliments me. He still is at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. He still calls me his friend, even though I treat him like an enemy. He still protects me. His death still works on my behalf, and I'm raised with him. It's an unfailing love. So the same way Jesus loved the disciples is the same way he loves all of us, and that is to the end, with a love that will never, ever fail us. This is almost so good that you wonder, can it be true? Can somebody really love like this? Well, technically, nobody can love like this except God who enters into a human body. Because we can't love. Now, we're called to love like this. 
but we fail in trying to love like this. Which is why our eyes cannot be ultimately upon people, Christians. Because as we try to live and love like Jesus, we will fail in how we live and love like Jesus. So that's why our eyes have to ultimately be on Jesus and not on Jesus' representatives. Because we mess up all of the time. We need Jesus to help us love like Jesus. Because when you get love like this, this kind of love, it ought to change you. I know it changes me. Jesus does not law us into obedience. He loves us into obedience. Yeah, there's a time for truth, but he never puts law over us because law brings death. But he loves us to do what is right. So as I close and as the band comes back today, I want to pray for people. I want to pray for people who have been failed by other people. And it sucked the joy out of your salvation. It's taken your strength. It's You've been miserable because you've been let down again and again and again and again. I want to pray for you because I know what this feels like. But the Lord will use people who fail you to shine the light on you so that it's not about them so much as it is about you. And he wants to know, can you love them anyway? And love doesn't mean that you condone ill treatment, but it surely doesn't mean you condemn people. When he says turn the other cheek, he means that stuff. When he says don't repay evil for evil, he means that stuff. When he says heap coals of love on people, he means that stuff. But I can't do that stuff in my own power. I need him working through my weakness. Because apart from him, man, hurt people, hurt people. Broken people break things and burn buildings down. But Jesus, 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 would you teach me how to love like this? Stand with me as we pray. Stand with me. I will not belabor this, but if you need prayer because you've been let down, and the people who let you down it has affected you. Come meet me here at the front with your pastor. I told you I've been walking through this thing. Come pray with me. Come pray with me. You've been hurt, failed, let down. Come pray with me. Come pray with me. And if you're the one that you know you failed someone that you were supposed to be there for, you need to repent and stop being so selfish and consider the interests of others over your own interests. There's a word here for you too. And you know what? I've found that not only am I the one who's been perpetrated against, but I'm also guilty of being 
the perpetrator. It was said by a man in the 1700s, for every look that you take at yourself, you need to take 10 looks at Christ. Because when I look at myself, I'm like, oh, Lord, like Paul, wretched man. But if I keep looking at myself, I'm really going to feel wretched. But for every glance I look at myself and my wretchedness, I need to take 10 glances at the love, hope, grace, and mercy, and person of Jesus. Because when I begin to focus on him, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus begins to set me free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> and where I was once struggling, I begin now to start soaring because my focus is on the one who's allowed me to be seated in heavenly places with him. I get my eyes off people. <laughs> and I get my eyes on the one who will never fail me. Father, here we are. We just came through a holiday season and sometimes it's hard. Some of our families are divided and some of us are going through some major changes in relationships. People are submitting divorce papers and decrees. We're reminded people who've hurt us. And in the midst of that, you call us to love them. We can't do that. But you can do it through us. Help us to take some small steps rather than going backwards. That means we have to make a phone call. Give us the strength to make it. Even if we have to send a text message, give us the strength to text the message to have that lunch meeting, to go to breakfast, to share, to release people who've hurt us. If that person is our husband, our wife, our children, our boss, our pastor, the parishioners, thank you, Jesus, because never a person loved the way you love Thank you. Thank you for loving us like this. Even when we fail you, you never fail us. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. And we pray all of this in the name that is above every name and through the one who changes us. Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about how healing occurs differently for us now. One leper was healed immediately. Ten lepers were healed in the process. Some of us get a breakthrough in its immediate deliverance, but the majority of us got to walk through it one day at a time. Releasing folk, loving people, forgiving ourselves. It's a process. But I'm so glad. When I can't feel like I can make it anymore, he carries me. And the reason why I am going to have the victory is because technically I already got the victory. 
technically we already have won because when Jesus got up death lost its sting and the grave lost its victory so who can separate me from this love can death affect me we're more than conquerors so for that relationship that thing that isn't right let's praise God now for the day it will be right it may be redefined it may not be the same kind of relationship but I know one thing you won't be the same person yeah the marriage may not work okay but you won't be full of bitterness okay y'all might not be homeboys like you used to be but you won't be full of bitterness and I'm gonna praise him now because I got the victory anybody believe we won already anybody believe we won already because of him because of him so let's take a minute and let's just celebrate with these young folks oh y'all